Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show and uh, again, really excited to have you all with us again this week. And uh, I've got a good friend returning to the show today. Um, it's been a while since she's been on the show, but I'm excited to have her back. Welcome back, Irene Cho. Hello, so excited to be here. So excited to see you again and have this conversation. Yeah, it's uh, we, we chat a lot outside of um, outside of here. We talk on on WhatsApp and and Twitter and things a lot. So um, we're uh, we're good friends. And um, Irene was on the show before to tell her story. Um, and today um, we're going to do another of our kind of pop culture and grief i suppose is the thing <laughs> um and dealing with grief and trauma which is kind of themes of the podcast and um but where we see this in pop culture and um we're going to we're going to look today at the godfather um and 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 as an aside of that the the kind of character arc of, of michael Corleone, um who's played by al pacino in the movies um, because um, there's a lot of a lot of unresolved trauma, unresolved grief, unresolved stuff that goes on with him, um, which kind of makes him into who he becomes. And it's kind of another example of like, we see a lot in movies of of what happens when you don't deal with your grief and your trauma. And so, um, yeah, just to kind of I guess to start off, what was your first experience of, of this movie? these movies well so i didn't grow up watching them i didn't see it i think until post college um which you know for those of you who don't know me for my age um post college is still a long time ago <laughs> um <laughs> let's just leave it at that not like I just watched a Jim Gaffigan thing and he was like, are we talking like old, old or people who didn't have phones in like cell phones in high school old? Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm part of the people who didn't have cell phones in high school old category, not old, old category. Um, but yeah, and I, I remember, I mean, obviously everyone hears about The Godfather, especially, you know, back then. And so I sat down, watched it, was addicted watched all three movies in one weekend. Um, I couldn't stop. I was so addicted to the whole story, enamored, romanticism at all of it, you know, um, family, the stickiness of everything. I had a huge crush on Michael Corleone after that. <laughs> like, <Right>. you know, <laughs> this sense of he's a man who takes care of business in such a calm manner not this over the top, like control freak esque type of, mm. you know, stereotype. He was just so calm, cool, and collected and strategic about everything. And there was something really sexy about that as a 20 something year old young girl who has daddy issues, right? <laughs> it's just wanting to have a man who takes care of his family and takes care of business, no matter what it, means um and is the protector of that right um and so that was my first takeaway as a young person um and then as the years progress and i continue to grow in my awareness of mental health issues and trauma and grief and my own processes and how i interact with it you know rewatching stuff again as as we talk about all the time homeboy just needed some therapy <laughs> He just had to go to therapy. Like, there's just a lot of things that he decided to take into, like, action that really could have um, been adjusted as... So there are two things that always happen when my husband and I watch movies. Number one is, really, all of this could have been prevented if you just had gone to therapy. And number two, communication is really important and essential. And none of this would have happened if people had just communicated well with each other. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, as an adult yeah. now watching it, it's it's like all of this stuff and killing and drama could have been prevented for these two, you know, if these two things had happened. <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. It's very true. Um, and you can say that with a lot of a lot of stories um, like you know, Darth Vader, if Anakin Skywalker went to therapy. Like, you know, <laughs> 
um and it's true <laughs> yeah um but um but yeah you're right i mean it, yeah i mean my my encounter with it was it was i didn't watch it when i was young like because it was like a i knew it was like this legendary film mm-hmm. and I, wasn't, I wasn't into gangster films and I, and I and i and it was also kind of an 18 so i didn't watch it um i think i watched it for the first time when i was like 20 years old or something mm-hmm. and like you i was kind of blown away by it i was like this is amazing like um just great filmmaking and great storytelling and i watched the second one straight away yeah and the third one i wasn't like so enamored with but um the first two were just really compelling um the third one is very interesting in its own right actually but um we'll get on to that but um um yeah and it is it is kind of a rise and fall in a sense um Mm -hmm. Um, the whole trilogy. I mean, like the, mm-hmm. the first two are kind of his his rise, and then like the the kind of the third one is kind of picks up like fifteen years later when you see the consequences of what he does in those movies for him mm-hmm. and for other people. So, um, yeah. But I, I, the more I when I watched it again, like last year, I was like, hold on a minute. Like Michael Corleone starts off as this kind of energetic kind of um in love um you know kind of guy who wants to kind of who knows what his family is like and acknowledges it and is not unaware of it um and loves his family nonetheless but doesn't want to be part of his family right and doesn't want to get involved in any of that um and um and knowing the story, it kind of feels like there's a fear that he might, that he, he has, it feels like he has this fear that he might get dragged into it. Yeah. Like, um, like, like this kind of overwhelming fear that one day something's going to happen and he's going to get sucked into this. And like, you know, his first wife, when we meet her at the start of the, of the, of the first movie, Kay, um, who's played by Diane Keaton, who's brilliant in it, uh, in the trilogy. Um, um yeah he's kind of trying to he's trying to get away from she's kind of his ticket out of his family like mm-hmm. um at the start <laughs> and um and it's weird because even his father who's like the don don Corleone, who's like um marlon brando play um got an oscar for deservedly um he kind of wants him to be the kind of like, I don't want you to be involved in the family. I don't want you to mm-hmm. be like me. <laughs> like he has all these plans for him, like to be president and all this kind of thing. Like um, just kind of not be like him. Um, because there's, there's this scene, like, because what happens is that, is that people try to kill um, his father and nearly succeed. And, um, and yeah, that's the kind of turning point in Michael's journey because then he kind of I think that's there's this kind of because he changes as soon as he hears that's happened like it's just it's actually quite a powerful scene because they're coming out of a theatre he's coming out of a theatre with Kay and they're like all happy and you know you know kind of no cares in the world kind of thing you know and then they see a newspaper with the news that his dad's been shot and is kind of feared to be dead and he didn't know and but he changes completely like almost in that instant um he becomes really cold really distant like he kind of almost pushes her away because and it's like it's really interesting that i think it's there's a lot of michael Corleone, which is about i want to protect the people that i love and i do that by controlling them by controlling everything around them um and um and i because i can't trust anybody else because of the family i can't trust anybody else (laughs) to to keep them safe other than myself um and he kind of goes into that mode straight away like he kind of alienates himself from her to protect her almost like uh, like you know i'll call you whenever kind of thing like and yeah um but that's the kind of trauma that it's which it's it's his dad almost dying yeah and he goes well, and- yeah go ahead and then well, and there's so much, there's so much to unpack in the first half of all of that, right? Like, 
there's stuff to talk about. Like, so my mom and I, we connect so much on this story because she grew up in also a very powerful family, very wealthy, you know, at a time in Korea when there was not wealth at all. And my grandfather was one of the co-founders of Samsung before he sold off his shares. And, you know, was they were like the Rockefellers. And so we, my mom and I, we talk a lot about legacy, right? And the lack thereof of the father not really handing off his knowledge and wisdom for how he's run this operation, you know? And, and so we see Don Corleone being very shrewd and wise and insightful and intentional, right? This magnanimous man. And we see that not getting really passed on to his three sons, mm. you know, one being a very hothead, the oldest who's supposed to take everything on, Fredo, who's the middle child and just wants to be respected and has massive daddy issues because he's not respected and passed over. And then the youngest who was trying to assimilate, you know, back then in the 70s, Italians were not considered white, yet uh, they were still very looked down upon. You know, I've grown up in the East Coast. They're all the derogatory things for Italians and Italian-Americans, um, Italian immigrants and Italian-Americans. And, you know, so the youngest, the dream, he's living the American dream, right? With the blonde American wife or girlfriend going off to college, becoming president. That's it's the whole immigrant story of like, we're doing all these criminal activities to make money so that our family could have a trajectory of wealth so that you could live that dream of not in this crime, right? In this crime world. And the father is like doing, giving that, passing that on to the youngest. And then as you shared, right? Like, all of that comes crashing down, like, because it's, it, you know, you're living in a world of crime and violence is, is going to happen in there. And, and Michael is not prepared for any of that as the baby of the family who's been protected, quote unquote, this whole entire time in this bubble, you are exempt from this world. And therefore, he doesn't have the tools to adjust to that properly. Of, and he's never grown up as being the baby. I'm the man of the family. I'm the one who's responsible to take. He's never had the weight of that until he goes to Italy and then he finds out his brother dies, right? And so now he feels the weight of that as he takes the mantle without having had any of his father's real like Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, through that. And so yeah. we see him walking through that again without therapy really not having adjusted and worked out like socially, what does that actually mean? And when you're young and you don't have maturity and you grow up in that kind of trauma, you buckle down because control is what you perceive to be the magnanimous thing. You think your father is fully in control, but there's something else about Don Corleone that the way he led was not a control freak like in the way that Michael did, right? And so we see the yeah. disconnect. Yeah, that's right. It was very different. He's a Don Corleone is a very persuasive person. He can get people yes. to do things. He's very you see in the second movie, especially this kind of come out, Robert De Niro plays a younger version of him. And he's like this very this charming kind of persuasive And for the cause of the people, for the community. Yeah, yeah for the people. Yeah. Not like he's not a He's like, yeah, like the rage against the machine. Like, I'm going to go up against the system kind of thing. I'm going to yes. rise up through, I'm going to beat the system kind of thing. And he kind of And does. that's how he gets loyalty from people. You see him yeah. helping the least of all people. So he gets loyalty in that way, so not he, control top down. Yeah, not top down. Yeah, like, which is completely the opposite of Michael. Michael yes. It's like, every, I have to know every everything about everybody. And if I can't control it, I will get rid of it. Yes. <laughs> Right. So we Even to the extent of killing his own brother. Yes. <laughs> because And so it's very lacking humanity and very lacking compassion versus Don, his father who was very much motivated by compassion and like, you know, yes, he protected the family, all of these things, but it was always even if it was criminal, it was from a heart of of generosity versus michael right who were it's like an abundant mindset versus even though it's criminal 
versus Michael, who is very much ruling from a scarcity mindset, right? Um, yeah, more capitalist. And that's yeah. yeah. Yes. And very inter- and very American, very nuclear to a certain yeah. degree. We see remember. the lack. Because Don Corleone doesn't grow up in America. Right. He grows up in this small village in Italy, which is a very different culture. And very like, communal. Whereas Michael grows up in America. <laughs> Just when it's and it's about my family, only my family above all things. And Don Corleone is not like that. Yes, there's about family. He's about community as well, like yes, like yes. helping other people out. Like you see that at the, the beginning of the first movie, he's helping out this person whose whose daughter has been abducted, basically. Like, yes, and he's asking for help to for retribution, basically. Um, and even and even why Don Corleone doesn't choose to go into the drug business. He's like, I don't like this. I don't like how this is affecting young people. This is not good. Like he's yeah. a man who thinks about why he's choosing what he's choosing, right? For the sake, the good, the greater good. Yeah, to exactly. a certain degree. Yeah, there's a very yeah, there's a very big thing about about that. Like, I mean, he's not the only the only one of the five families who kind of doesn't like this whole drugs thing, or they don't they don't want it near children. They don't want it near families. They don't want it. Right. They want it kind of you know it's. It, it's really interesting because they're criminals, but they've got this kind of code, this right. kind of morality, <laughs> this kind of community kind of thing, which is really interesting. Um, but Michael is kind of not like that at all. Um, um, he's he's a businessman, basically. Right? His, that's his approach. He's kind of top-down, control everything um, and control everybody. And, yeah, he first he has this thing with his father where he almost dies and he goes and visits him in hospital and kind of saves his life. Um, yeah, because somebody's going to come and kill him, and he moves yeah. him quickly. Yeah, he's because he's the, he's the most intelligent one in the family. He's yes, the yes, one, by far. He's the most strategic. Yep. Um, he is. Yeah, he's the, the really smart one. So, like, um, um, so he knows he can just pick things up. He knows, like, you know, he's he's just really clever. Um, yeah. and then like he he volunteers to kill this guy that tried to kill his father and it's like mm-hmm. this is interesting like it's almost like he's resigned himself yeah i have to get involved i don't want to but i have to this is like i don't yeah. have any choice but then there's this moment where he kind of turns around like and this sonny is there and all his brothers are there and like and they're kind of saying you sure you want to do this and he's like he makes this he makes his face it's like it's not personal it's just business yeah and I'm like, oh, that's it. Like, you know, that's his whole, that's his whole approach. Like, which he's, is, he's got, it's not just business with his father, right? Right. Um, but he's kind of methodical. Like, it's really kind of, almost then it's starting, you know. Um, but then he kind of escapes to Italy and kind of finds a life there, falls in love, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm free. Like, again, he's free. But then, then his wife gets killed, and his brother gets killed, and um, and again, it's kind of this like sense of I can't escape, and um, and this kind of again, lo- but lots of grief, like his brother's been killed and his his wife has been killed, and he's grieving for both of them, whilst he's being thrust back into his family again, like and having to deal with all of that and like so he doesn't have it like you say this is where he needs to have therapy (laughs) because and his method of survival in all of this which i can relate to and i'm like oh maybe michael is a nine wing eight like he has he in in his sense of like he has attachment disorder right in that like there's a sense of when you're in trauma you either fight or flight, but I I know that I have this tendency as well of like you get very calm and calculating, right? And that's that's how Michael ends up just being in that mode for the rest of his life because again he's not and like one of my struggles as I go through trauma as I work through my grief is to never detach from my humanity and my soul. And it's always a wrestle for me. It's always a struggle, but Michael never gets there. He never reconnects with his soul and he never reconnects with people's soul. And so he forever remains for the rest after that, after his wife dies and after his, you know, brother dies, 
he immediately, he just stays. And everything from there is all business, all calculation, including choosing Kay, who was not a good match for him at that point, right? Because Kay is not the woman to choose if you're running an Italian gangster mafia family. His no, first wife even, that, even that feels like a business arrangement, the way that it all gets exactly. Right? He needs a uh, wife, he needs children, he needs a pass on. It's all calculating from that point. He just completely yeah. detaches from his humanity. And the only time you ever see him express emotion is when he gets angry. Yep. And it's in private. It's always in private. He never expresses any emotion. Yep. All the same kind of tone of voice. Um, it's it's there's no laughing, there's no joking. Um, it's just like the most angry that you see him get is when um, Kay tells him that she aborted the baby. Yeah. Right. Because he didn't have any control over that. <laughs> he couldn't stop it. He didn't yeah. know it was happening. Um, she did it without his knowledge or consent or anything like that. Not that it, it's, it requires his consent, um, but um, she didn't, well, didn't tell him and she lied to him about it. And she actually said she did it because she knew that she would never be able to forgive her for it. It was like yeah. her way of saying, I'm leaving. Yeah. I don't ever want to see you again kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. He just explodes. like yeah. that. And all of that anger in that moment is all the suppressed grief and, ang- and trauma yes. and everything that he has bottled up and never, yep. ever even engaged with. So it's completely yep. out of control. Yep. Like it's just he's just forced it down and never ever dealt with it, like ever, never even felt it. And immediately he gets some kind of emotion that he can't contain. Yeah. It just explodes and he just like it's like, oh my god, he's like he's really messed up. Right. Um, <laughs> um and, and it just comes out, yeah. Yeah. And my mom and I we talk about too, like the importance of parenting like healthy parenting because his mom he doesn't you know both his parents his father who's john corleone and his mom they talk in generalities of advice like when he talks about what to do about his family like or his troubles and his mom is very like almost naively right well family is family you can't do anything that's unforgivable with family and i'm like homegirl like you need to unpack stuff with your son. Like there's a lot of stuff in there that you need to go deeper and you're the mom, like push in harder, you know, like somebody's got to push in to that moment where he's being vulnerable and be like, okay, like let's really start digging in here. What is happening for why you're trying to make these decisions you know, and not speak in these general platitudes of family love and dedication and loyalty and forgiveness. And, and that's all nice. It's very bumper stickery though. <laughs> it's not that's nice. right. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and it's all, it's all like this kind of, I want to avoid my, I want to avoid losing anybody else. I want to, I want to avoid my family being hurt. I want to protect my family. I want to take care of While my While also planning to kill my brother. I don't want, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't want to, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's all about, like, what ifs. Right. Well, I'll, I'll just do anything to avoid any possibility of any risk of anything bad happening to me or people that I love, right? Yeah. Um, which is a classic trauma response, by the way. <laughs> um, right. I, having lost a parent, I know that I, there was a phase where of my, there was a phase of my grief where I was, where I bottled up a lot of my anger. And where I wanted to control everything. Mm-hmm. And I got angry when I couldn't. And of course, being autistic added to that because when you're autistic, you want to be in control as well. You mm-hmm. want to kind of be able to know, like, in your head that you're in control of a space. So it, I totally resonated with that. Um, it just went out of control with him because he had lots of money and power and access to, you know, people um, to get things done. Um, that, other people wouldn't, fortunately. Um, but yeah, there's all this. Yeah, and you're right. Yeah, he's. I mean, then none of the children are parented well. Mm-mm. I mean, look at all of them. Like, he's the, like Sonny is kind of a complete loose cannon who doesn't has no emotional regulation whatsoever, and has mm-hmm. and probably has a narcissistic personality to a certain extent and a big ego, um, yeah. <laughs> which gets him ultimately gets him killed. 
Um, and he, yeah, like his his and his, Fredo's completely so insecure. Fredo can't find insecure. himself. He's 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 kind of emotional. He's kind of like he's he's yeah. He 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 wants to be respected. He doesn't feel respected. Um, like and that ends up ultimately getting him killed because he because out of that with kind of the anger that he has yep. about feeling disrespected yep. probably some unresolved grief in there as well um he ends up almost getting his brother killed yep. his brother and that ultimately gets him killed like so yep. um and uh and then his sister um again like she marries an abusive husband um and then has multiple other husbands. Yep. Um, kind of goes from one man to another. He's an alcoholic. Becomes an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, becomes an alcoholic. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so none of them have been, they haven't been parented well. No. And again, my grandma, you know, and both all the children, I would say staunchly, they knew that they were loved, right? And same with my mom's family. My grandfather was the patriarch. He was very again he was very like Don Corleone helped everyone out very precise you know all the things he he was so magnanimous of a figure in the family and so he dies early and my grandmother has no power she's not a strong woman she's you know I see these other wealthy families on tv or whatever and it's always a strong matriarch and that was not my mother's side of the family and so she sees her five brothers kind of like not being able to succeed in life, but my grandmother, instead of sitting them down in a strong way, like, you know, giving advice, giving input, digging in, figuring it out, like, just kind of glosses things over. Oh, they'll figure it out. Oh, they'll figure it out. And my mom growing up on that was like, I'm never going to parent that way. And so my mom went the polar opposite with me. Like, we're going to talk about everything and unpack everything and examine it with a microscope. <laughs> I dig through it to the point where I remember at 13 years old, I was like, oh my God, I'm only 13. Do we have to analyze every single like, element of my life? But it's ended up being so good for me, like even with limited therapy and like counseling and help, like to just be able to ask all the questions that I need to ask about myself, et cetera. I tell my mom, even though my mom's sometimes a little wacky, crazy. I'm so grateful to her for that, but it was part of her was seeing all of her brothers and seeing how my grandmother did exactly that. Like you just, as long as the kids are fed, as long as they're healthy, I've done my job. And, but there's so much life, psychological, emotional stuff in there. My mom was like, I'm not going to be that kind of parent. I'm not going to be the parent. That's just like, just get straight A's, just eat food and you're good. She's like, why do you want, why, you know, it's about why you want to get straight A's, why you want to be successful, why you, I'm like, ah, when I was younger, but now I'm like so grateful for it. But that's the whole thing. It's like every kid in the Corleone family, not, none of them were able to really analyze what is their worth, what is their value, where they find happiness, where they find satisfaction and contentment. Like Fredo is a, such a sad life because he should and does probably have great things to contribute. But in the scheme of all of it, he was never sat down to say, what do you love about yourself? What do you want to do? Like, don't live in the shadow of your father's legacy, mm. find your own path. You know what I mean? He was never given that pathway or opportunity to do his own thing. He's just constantly in the shadow of his two mm. brothers and especially his younger brother because he got passed over. He was never yeah, even a candidate. That's right, and yeah, and yeah. I mean, all of, there's so a, much grief in this family to unpack. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's interesting because you, I think none of the siblings really not, ever get a chance to figure out what they want to do, exactly what their own desires are. They yep. just like this is just how it is, and like yep. this, is, this is the family, and you this is how it works, and that's it, kind of thing, yep. um, and we will assign your role in life to you kind of thing. Um, I mean, there's even a scene at the end of the second Godfather where, which is set before the beginning of the first one, where they all talk to Michael about what they want him to, what he's going to do, what you're going to do, you're going to be president. He's like, well, what about what I want? Right. You know, it's like, whatever I want. Like, and we don't, we never find out what he wants. Right. Right. And I, I, I still can't figure it out. I can't, 
because there was a moment where I was thinking, does he actually want to succeed his dad? And is he like so smart that he knows his brother's going to get killed? He knows that he knows that Fredo can't do it, and he, so he knows that ultimately he's going to end up doing it. Or does he know that, and no, that's not what he wants, but he knows that's going to happen? Yeah. Like I think that's I think that might be what it is. It's like he's smart enough to know that what these people are like, and ultimately what will happen. Like he's probably like predicted it. Like I know what's yeah. going to I know I know that he'll not get he'll not get getting killed because he's reckless and emotional. And Fredo will never be able to do it. And like and and I'll end up doing. It. And Dad will Dad will kind of die or get too old, and then I'll have to. I'll, I'll end up doing it. Like you know. Um, and it's kind of that that that's that kind of goes with that sense of like fatalism. Like I've I've got no choice over my my life. And, and he probably and did I, have a choice. He just didn't think he had. Right, and he and he, as you say, he gets forced into it because of all the circumstances that happen. Instead of having a way out, which might have already happened if Sonny even stayed alive, he probably would have mucked up the whole thing anyway because of how he was. But it's like you said, and you know. There's a, I think, you know, it's a good question, especially because all four children have their daddy issues, you know, because again, you have such a strong male figurehead in your family. And I think of this a lot when I see big actor families, you know, where your father or, or parent is a superstar, and then you don't see the children really thriving in that field or et cetera, right? And and it's this question of, well, how do I live up to the legacy of my parents, right? And and we see this a lot in wealthy families where there's generational, like Hilton family or Campbell family or whatever family where the great grandfather or grandfather like became this gigantic figurehead in this empire that they built. And then the children are obligated from that point forward to live on this legacy without a choice. Um, mm. And... Um, and there are lots of questions in there about what does legacy mean? What does legacy look like? Do you, like, how do you carry on the mantle of that? You know, we see in, and is it is it right if other people are chosen? Like, what if you have children who are all incompetent and shouldn't be the ones carrying on the legacy of your family name? Like, we see this in the movie, in the TV show Succession. It's constant merry-go-round, right, of who's going to take over the Roy family empire that they've built, who's competent enough. And the father is manipulative. Like, he's not generous the way Don Corleone is, but it's that ever question of, like, who's taking on this legacy? And there's this weird lack of preparedness in that of, like, I'm raising you to do to take this over and then asking the children, like you said, do you even want this? Is this something we should just sell? And like, you find your own path, right? Um, it's it's a big question. I met somebody when I was doing fundraising and development, very wealthy gentleman. And he, I thought he just, he was so great. He's like, I we've built this company. And he was like, I asked my three sons if they wanted it. And none of them wanted to like take over the company. So he chose to sell it off and they made lots of money. And then he said, I gave my children a lump sum um, for them to choose there and find their own path. And that's it. Like after that, when he dies, he's like, it's in my will. I'm giving my money, the rest of my money away to charity. And he was like, I want zero dollars left in my bank account and nothing. Else. And my children all know they've been given the chance to do their own pathway and I'm here to support them and give them advice and all the things, but then that's it. And I was like, this is so beautiful, right? Like He gave power to his children. His children said they don't want that. And so he said, okay, and this is how we're going to do it. But I, I give you a good inheritance blessing to try to find your own thing. And it was like, that was just such a healthy decision and open communication amongst his family, right? About mm. how to move forward. I just thought it was so beautiful and healthy. The polar opposite of what the Corleone family did. This is it's really interesting you say that. Like there's a couple of there's a couple of metaphors, a couple of examples that I thought of when you were talking about this. Like the first one of them is real life and one of them is fictional. Um the real life one is the Kennedys. Um mm. because you have the, the patriarch who has made all the money. And then he's basically deciding that one of his sons, his eldest son, is going to be president, and that's it. He doesn't mm -hmm. get a choice, right? And of course, his eldest son is kind of the 
absolute stereotype kind of good-looking, tall, handsome, whatever, whatever kind of stereotype, I mean. stereotype white male that you would want to be president. <laughs> um, but he dies. And then you've got the second son who is constantly ill and has almost died about three or four times, right? Um, mm-hmm. And is already on medication for like that people don't know about, but who kind of wants to go into politics and has already had a successful writing career. Um, and he kind of, he actually goes on and becomes president. Um and gets killed, obviously, uh, JFK. Um, and uh, it's a really interesting thing. Like, you know, the, the people aren't sure about how much of JFK becoming president was his choice and how much of it was right. the family. I think there's an element of that it was both. I think I don't think that he was he did it against his will at all. Um, and then, of course, there's the next son down, which is Robert, who when JFK is killed, kind of almost feels like a moral obligation to carry on his legacy and ends up running for president and getting killed, right? So there's this kind of generational thing like <laughs> um, that goes through this family and it's like endless trauma. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, the children of... And then JFK's eldest son as well. He was kind of labelled this kind of, oh, he's going to be president. He's going to be president. Like, and then he died when he was like 30 or something. Yeah. And that was kind of, again, it was just tragic. It was a completely, complete accident. It wasn't like, it wasn't an assassination, but it is kind of just this trauma in this family of like expectations and like, you know, um, which all came from the, the original Patriarch, Joseph Kennedy. Um, And yeah, it just kind of reminded me of that, that, the, the different people in the family had different roles and things and yep. yeah um and then the uh, the fictional example was um knives out where right right where the guy where the of the family makes his will and doesn't leave it to his children because <laughs> he wanted them to make them make it on their own right first off but then he realizes how much, like how money is absolutely screwing up with their lives, and he's yeah. like, "I, you, this is not what is best for you. Actually, <laughs> me leaving everything to you is not going to be, is not going to serve you, right?" So he leaves it all to, to to his nurse, who is actually a really nice person, and like, yeah, and would and doesn't really want to want money or power or anything like that. <laughs> um, and that's the whole kind of crux of that story and the response to that and everything like that. It's um, it's a, that's a great movie. Um, and the whole time watching that movie, I was like, this family needs so much therapy. <laughs> yeah, and and Chris Evans plays the kind of Joseph Kennedy because Joseph Kennedy was just uh-huh. like that, right? He was like this apparently quite arrogant and like you know cocky and. Stuff and actually, I think he was a Republican. Um, I mean, he's more Republican in his politics than than his brother was. I mean, he would have been a Democrat, but would have been quite a right wing Democrat, um, mm-hmm. apparently, because um, he wasn't. Uh, oh, he's yeah. Joe Manchin. Um, so he wasn't as progressive as his as his brother as his brother was, um, which is interesting. Another whole, which is another whole conversation because JFK's trauma served to make him more compassionate. So anyway, that's another whole. That's another Not podcast. Um, but. But, and this is a good question for parents to think about. You know, I think about this, and I don't have children of my own, don't plan to, but it's, it's even when I've worked with young kids and in my way of doing ministry, it's always been about this question of what is legacy and what are we trying to help the young next generation understand in a holistic, healthy way as they're growing up? Because... I don't, and you know, parents are just trying to survive. I'm not trying to shame parents in, you know, the fact of that their kids are all screwed up. This is on them, albeit a lot of it is. It's just, and so I get that parents are just, especially those who are first gen building the wealth of the empire, right? Um, You're just trying to survive and you're figuring it out on a day to day. But there's a, 
and my husband and I, we've had a lot of these dialogues about passing on at what point in your building of the empire, do you pass on and prepare the next generation to pass on? So I just met another gentleman, a different gentleman, also very wealthy donor who I was talking about his upbringing. He's probably in his early seventies at this point. And he said his father from the age of 15 began to train him like and so his father died early when he was 18 and he immediately like as other people and investors were trying to come in and break apart the company he told he stepped up to his mother and said i dad has been preparing me for this for three years i'm coming into that meeting with the trustees and i'm gonna say how it's gonna be done and his mom and so a lot of the older gentlemen on the trustee board was like why is your son who's 18 here and she's like he knows this company in and out because i forget his father's name trained him and brought him up what he says is how it's going to go and he built and continued to expand his father's legacy because his dad like really brought him up in preparation and from what i've heard very warmly and again not in a forceful you have to do this kind of way but it, it was very symbiotic and i think that's what's so important the consent with your children is so important and you as a parent understanding you're not going to be here for forever. And so how are you going to train your children to come up and carry on this legacy? What are you hoping for? Right. And it'll look different than how you want it. Because a lot of times I think the patriarch in particular, who can, like leads the family are wanting it to be done exactly the way they figured out how to do it. And that's, you have to let that control go. Right. Um, and I think Don Corleone did, he wasn't controlling in that way, but he also did not pass on some of the other good parts of building the empire, right? He just taught yeah. Michael a lot of the strategy and being questioning everything and all of those things, which helped Michael, but he didn't give him the like innate compassion and sense of responsibility to the community that he himself naturally had. That was not something he implemented and passed on wisely to teach his son. Exactly. Son. Yeah, that's right. Because he never intended him to do that role. Right. Um, like, but even yeah. when that little crossover, when Don retires and he's like, Michael's taking over, for those few months, he could have continually like pressed in on his sons about you know, being compassionate or whatever. And you just, you never see that. He just keeps that scene in the garden where he keeps asking Michael, are you sure you, 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 this person's going to betray you? Are you sure? You know? And Michael's like, I, I got it, dad. I got it. Like, I know, I know. So he, by the time Michael is getting quote unquote, really mentored by his father, his father is not in a state of really like, showing him and being able to impart the whole entire thing because his father is dealing with trauma of his son dying his eldest son dying and and he's old age and he himself has gotten shot <laughs> so you know we don't see don corleone really giving wisdom in the fatherly way to michael um, and he doesn't have much time to either because he dies right like heart attack like not long after that does it i mean right. I don't know what the timeline is but it, it can't be right. more than a few months um, right when he starts, you know, so yeah. Um, but there's also this sense of Michael kind of like already having plans of what he's going to do when his father dies, but won't things that he would never do while his father was alive. Right. Right. And, and same when his mother wasn't alive, he would never have killed Fredo if his mother stayed alive. That's right. He, he, he does it right after his mom dies. Yeah. Like, it's this, yeah, and at the end of the Godfather Part Two, the, uh, when they're at his mother's funeral, uh, you see Michael look up and give this kind of look to this guy, mm-hmm. and it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, like, <laughs> because he says to him before, like, I don't want anything to happen to Fredo while my mother's alive, which is basically saying, mm-hmm. which is basically his way of communicating to him, like, once she's died. Yep. Like it's go time. Like, you know, um, he's gone. He's out of here. Um, so crazy. It's kind of, and it's just, it's cold. It's just really cold. Um, that scene where he says, um, you're dead to me. Like you don't, you're, you're, you're basically not my brother anymore. If you come to the house, I don't tell me in a day in advance. So I'm not going to be here. Kind of thing. It's like, it's just, there's no emotion when he says that. Like he just he doesn't feel anything. It's, it's so it's, detached. 
he's he's buried his emotions so deep that, that he doesn't even feel them anymore. And his brother is distraught. Um, and you know, and and apologetic and like, but it's too late. And um, about Michael's just like it's like like it's just business. Like it's not personal kind of, you know. That that's his whole kind of mo. Um, and this is this kind of brings us to like the third movie where he's living with the consequences of what he did. He's living. He's carrying it in with him every day, like demons. Okay. Um, and there's that scene where he meets the because it always catches up to you. Yeah, it always, always absolutely, it does, and it does with him. Um, um, and he ends up confessing to this priest about what he did, and he absolutely breaks down. Finally, like he, the emotion all just comes out, and he can't control it anymore. And he's apologetic, and he's like he, he has all these regrets, um, and. He turns over the business to Sonny's illegitimate son, who is, you know, um, and and he at the end at the end he's kind of he feels like he's finally free. He goes and watches his son perform in this concert because his son's chosen to live a life free of the family completely, um, and uh, has actually succeeded. So, <laughs> um, and he thinks that's okay. Well, we're kind of I'm I'm free. Like I'm finally free, and then his daughter gets killed right in front of him. And he reconciles with Kate too, right? He reconciles with Kate, yeah. He reconciles with Kate as see, well. Yeah. I need to see the third one that's remastered or redone because Coppola, uh, right? He like added stuff. He like changed Yeah, he added stuff. Heard, yeah, they reconcile. I've heard the third one, the new one is better. Yeah, I need to see, I need to see that. Um, but yeah, they do kind of reconcile, but his daughter gets killed in front of him. And then there's this moment yeah. of like, he collapses on the floor and just screams. Yeah. Like he just screams, like and doesn't stop screaming. Like at yeah. first at first it's really well well made because they don't have any sound at first. You just see him collapse and his mouth open. Like but you know he's screaming and then suddenly the, the noise appears. Like and it's just it's like literally all everything that he has buried for thirty years has kind of just come out like just like, like, finally, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it over, it just, that just completely overwhelms him, and it breaks yeah. him, you know. And he's he's a broken man, but um, um, and um, the next thing you see of him is when, like, I don't know, 10, 10 15, 20 years later, mm-hmm. and he's he's at that place in Italy where his wife, his first wife, mm-hmm. was killed, and he's sitting on this chair on his own. Um, he's completely alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where this has got him, you know, his desire to protect everybody and his desire to control everybody to avoid suffering has actually ended up leaving him completely mm-hmm. alone. And it's mm-hmm. a tragedy, you know, it's a tragedy. It is a tragedy. And he dies, and know, you know. Right. And I, I know people are like, oh, it, it glorifies you know, the mafia and all of that. And I'm like, but it doesn't. It's the whole story about the tragedy and choices that we make when we don't do therapy, when we don't deal with our grief, when we aren't parented well, when we don't understand the responsibility. I mean, there's so, again, so many layers to all of it. And it's, while it does, you know, and while it does glorify a certain element of it, you know, a, this is also a commentary on, there's the golden years of that, time period where it seemed like everything was thriving at the end of the first movie, right? Where the brothers are all having dinner together and they're laughing and like you hold on to this childhood memory of what was so wonderful of a time period before all the shit hits the fan basically. <laughs> it starts unraveling, you know, for the next 25 years. But you hold on to that and you, Michael, there's like a, I think there's like an element where Michael is trying to maintain that, that little bubble of a moment and he cannot, he does not, he does not have the ability and capability of creating that environment again, that Mm. was created with his father. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because he's not like his father and he doesn't work like his father and, 
There's a lack of warmth and humanity there for for whatever reason, for his survivalness, for his natural personality, whatever it is that he had, like, because, you know, if Michael had a different personality, he might have responded to this trauma in a very different way. He might have just shut the whole family down and been like, I'm not having any of this, you know, like it will never know in the process of this of like how a different person with a different upbringing with a different personality and makeup would deal with this trauma. Right. All we know is we see this narrative unfolding and what we can learn from it in ourselves. As I was sharing earlier, like I, the other day I was telling my husband, like I could see myself being a very cold and calculating person because I have a tendency to in trauma detach Right. And I have to make the effort to continually like hold on to my humanity and hold on to my compassion and love for people and 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 for whatever calculating strategic awareness I have of like I'm like I think we were watching something where a leader I was like, I could totally see myself calculating, well, the sake of fifty people to save five million people, sorry, fifty people. You know what I mean? Like I could just see myself being very calculating in that way and yet working to continually force myself to be on the ground to see the pain to see the humanity to see the like community to see the love to see the connection with each other right it's work and and if we in our in our way of dealing with grief if we harden ourselves right as as it says in scripture as it says in so many proverbs all of these things if we harden ourselves in the name of protection in the name of survival in the name of you know um welfare and whatever we could we could try to label it in all the pretty labels that we want if we don't stay grounded in the messiness of humanity and the love of humans and and all of that even though humans are just suck sometimes you know like Mm. we lose ourselves right we lose our who we are not just our impact to other people in what we do in reaction to that Mm. but we lose ourselves as you said at the end of godfather he he has lost himself he's lost everything not just others around him but himself in in all of it right and that's yeah if that's the detriment if we don't if we don't deal with our trauma and grief in a healthy way yeah he loses his humanity Um, right and yeah he's just this cold calculating machine and um and that's what happens when i've said this many times that's what happens when you bury grief and trauma and you don't deal with it yeah and you just bury it and try and be strong for everybody else. And you just you just never, ever, ever, ever deal with it. That's where it can take you. Um, you can end up harming people. You can end up, you can, um, you end up dehumanizing yourself. You end up dehumanizing yeah. others. You can end up becoming a control freak. You can, it, it's just, it messes up your life. Uh, I mean, I yes. remember when my mother died, the first two weeks, I didn't cry. I didn't, I didn't express any emotion any emotion i was literally like michael corleone <laughs> i was like yep. i was literally just not feeling anything i was like i my job is to protect everybody else my job is to look after everybody else my job is to make sure everybody else is okay and everyone else is coping and everyone else is sorted and that's and, and this wasn't a conscious decision it was just a, a self-conscious decision it was like a role i'd already assigned myself from when, mm-hmm. I, from when mm-hmm. I was very young like when my mother first had her first trauma, like, and I was very young and I somehow decided that it was my job to look after everybody at that point. And then when she died, it was like, okay, now I have, now I have to do that and go up a level kind of thing. And I, that's why I resonate in in a sense with like how Michael responds to a certain, like in that, that's what he does. Mm-hmm. And the difference is that I actually ended up getting therapy and counseling and, and my sister encouraging me to cry and get emotional and stuff. And, and, and actually music preparing the funeral just unlocked that for me anyway. Mm, like, mm. Was, I don't know what, what music, how music does it, but it was just my mother's, well, the song we chose yeah. for the funeral just, I just wasn't, I was, I caught me off guard and I just broke down. Right. So, but even then for years I had problems with that, with, with anger that I buried. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It, like, it take, take, take control of me for a while. 
Um, but it, you know, when you do the work and you do therapy and you do um, spiritual direction and you, you deal with your trauma, then that kind of changes. Um, Even Hawk just had a video that went viral um, on an interview he did. He was talking about poetry and how people scoff at poetry or whatever until that person experiences a tragedy and then they're like in this mode of does anybody else feel what I'm feeling, right? Or, or like this this mm. thing, this agony that I'm going through that maybe you're not even fully aware of it. And then you read something or you listen to a song or you watch a movie or you hear a story and you just cannot contain it any longer. I remember after I, I was raped, um, I shut down for two years. I did not cry for two years. I didn't cry at commercial with the Hallmark commercial with the doggies and like whatever. It didn't matter. There was nothing that I, that I would get there. And then after two years, I was so tired from being strong for like pushing forward for, you know, getting through it. And I remember it was, I was at a, I was at a retreat. Um, and you know, there was this thing where it was like, if you need prayer or whatever, you come to the altar. And I went up there and I could not stop crying for three hours. I was just crying nonstop for three hours. And it was my release. It was the thing mm. that I needed. And I, I love, there's this moment in friends, right? Where I know it's so trivial, but Monica's like in, has insomnia after she breaks up with uh, Richard and um monica's one of the main characters for those of you who don't watch friends <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. she she can't sleep until she hears that richard is also in agony and it's like this relief that she is comforted to know she's not crazy going through this breakup and this tragedy and this hardship alone and she immediately falls asleep right and it's it's mm -hmm. that again it's the this is what therapy does for us or connection with friends or counseling this is what faith does this is what reading does this is what art does and music it it taps into the emotions of who we are and i say this all the time this is why authoritarian fascist governments always want to ban art ban books ban like you know creativity because that is a reflection of our humanity. That is what taps into our emotions. That is what keeps us connected together. They, it, it's always a stripping down of that, of our humanity in the name of the control of work, of enforcement, of survival, of like all the things, right? And mm, yeah, there's a movie, there's a movie about that, uh, which we should do for a podcast um, called Equilibrium, which is about a society which basically this med they, they all take this medication which suppresses your emotions and they have to take it at a certain time every day and everyone has to take it and and feeling is a criminal offense and you get burnt for it right and so and they literally ban art and poetry and everything like that like um and um which severance the TV show is commentating on that a bit because you sever your most of the people, the characters, if anybody, you should all watch Severance who's listening in on this. It's brilliant. But it's that these people are for some reason have chosen to sever their eight hours of work life from their regular life. The main character has some tragedy that he's experienced and he's wanting to disconnect for eight hours and not have any recollection. And it's this whole thing unfolding. I have to watch that. I have to watch you that. have to watch it. It's so good. So yeah. Good. Thank you. Yeah. We could do a lot of podcasts together, couldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably about some MCU stuff as well, because we love talking about MCU stuff on, on, <laughs> okay. on the timeline a yeah. lot. Um, yeah. So, um, but... Um, but speaking of MCU, right? Wanda, Wanda is all about not dealing oh, with trauma and grief. Wanda, oh, God. There will oh, be an episode God. of this podcast on multiverse of madness and grief. Believe me, there will be. <laughs> and one um, right? Um, I'll have to find somebody to do that with, but um, maybe the person that did WandaVision, the old WandaVision episode with me. That would be yes. an interesting follow-up. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, thank you for coming on. And this has been a really, really good discussion. Again, like, like, People kind of wonder, you know, why we talk about movies and stories and stuff um, and pop culture on a podcast about grief and trauma and 
um, and deconstruction and transformation and, and all that kind of thing and healing. And it, the reason is this, what we talked about today. These stories resonate with our story and we can <laughs> learn lessons from these stories about what not to do, <laughs> uh, about what the dangers are, um, and about and also some stories tell us how we should deal with things in a healthy way. This one doesn't. This one's the opposite. So um, obviously, um, um, do not follow the Michael Corleone um, no. path, of, path of healing or non-healing, which he doesn't. Non-healing, yes. Um, I, um, so yeah, um, yeah. So this has been really, really great. Thank you for for coming on. Um, Thank you for having me. I love talking about this. Yeah, <laughs> great, isn't it? Um, and where can people get connect with you on online? Online, everything is Irene M, as in Michelle Cho, C-H-O. Um, so Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm the most active on Twitter, um, and I'm the most brash and upfront and honest and raw on Twitter. Um, I'm a bit more insightful on Instagram and Facebook. I do have a blog called findingtheinbetween.com. I talk a lot about kind of the space in between, which is what grief and getting getting through, journeying through grief and trauma. It's all that in between space. We have trauma, and we want to get right to letter Z and be done with it. And yet, all of the stickiness is in the in between, and the growth and the the healing is in the in between. So I have a blog on that, um, and then yeah, that's I, I am on TikTok under the same name, but I'm a I'm a lurker. I don't do TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just walk around. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I do on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I have a private account as well. I never make any videos, yeah. but I watch a lot of other people's same on, videos. Same on Snapchat. I just use the filter to send it, send funny pictures to my husband. I'm a lurker on Snapchat. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Give Irene a follow. I highly recommend it. She's great. Um, and I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast sometime. So thank you. Um, thanks for coming on, Irene, and thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>